Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. The show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Tuesday, December 13th, 2022. It's been 3,212 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27th, 2014 and 293 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Glaut Lucia to our listeners who celebrate the day. Please save me some pepper kakur. On the subject of holidays, some quick housekeeping. Our team will be taking a well-deserved break for a few days in December and January, so we will not be publishing new episodes on December 25th and 26th, nor on December 31st and January 1st, and we will be focusing on special reports in the first week of January. Our full situation reports and regular update podcasts will start up for 2023 on January 11th. Of course, having said that, if there are any major developments during that time, we'll jump in with coverage and analysis. With that out of the way, let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the commander of all Russian forces in Ukraine, Army General Sergei Sorovikin, has increased the operational tempo to create a political victory before December 31st by employing the same strategy as his predecessor, Colonel General Alexander Lapin, on the Solidar-Bakhmut axis. Second, we maintain that Russia is still conducting stealth mobilization, and it is almost certain that this second wave of partial mobilization will begin in January or February 2023, despite Kremlin denials. Third, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine has diminished further and is now a remote possibility during the winter months. Fourth, We assess that terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure will continue at least through December 22nd, and that the threat of another round of missile attacks is elevated through December 14th. Fifth, we maintain Russia will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed, or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Sixth, We maintain that the risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants, 
as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction is possible. Seventh, our assessment that Russian President Vladimir Putin is facing more unrest outside the Kremlin was accurate, with numerous Russian mill bloggers openly criticizing the Kremlin, tactics, strategy, intentional disinformation spread by Russian state media, and the treatment of Mobiks. Eighth, we maintain that the Russian Minister of Defense, Sergei Shoigu, is reaching a point where his continued leadership of the Russian Federation Armed Forces is at risk, and that it will be politically difficult to blame Army General Sorovyakin, Commander-in-Chief of the Russian Aerospace Forces, for failing to defend Russian airbases. Ninth, we maintain that neither belligerent will enter an operational pause over the winter. Tenth, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations. Eleventh, we maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin to be combat effective due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. And finally, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. On the Svatova axis, positional fighting continued in Novoselivske, with Russian forces relying more on artillery and TOS-1 thermobaric weapons in a continued effort to dislodge Ukrainian forces. Russian forces attempted a counteroffensive with an attack on Stelmachivka, which was unsuccessful. There was fighting reported in Novohyorivka, with Russian forces pushed back to Kovalivka. We had previously coded the villages contested, so there was no change in the line of conflict. On the Kremina axis, there were no reports from any reliable source of fighting or shelling Ploshanka. Russian forces attempted to advance on Makievka and were unsuccessful. The situation remains unchanged in Chervonopopivka, with continued fighting just west of the P-66 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line. There were also no reports from any reliable sources on the situation southwest of Kremina in Dibrova. Ukrainian forces moved back to the offensive in Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, pushing back on the advance that the private military company or PMC Wagner Group was leading. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNRJCCC, did not report any major strikes today beyond the continued heavy shelling of Svatova and Kremina. In northeast Donetsk, on the Lysychansk and Popazna axis, PMC Wagner attempted another advance on Verknokomyanskye, which was, once again, unsuccessful. Ukrainian forces continue to control Spirne, with their positions shelled by Russian forces. Wagner continues to attempt advancing into Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, and remains in positions east of the T-1302 highway near the quarry. The most intense fighting in Ukraine continues to be around Solidar and Bakhmut. On the Solidar axis, Ukrainian forces retook control of the areas west of the T-1302 highway in Yakovlivka. PMC Wagner, supported by the 1st and 2nd Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, and LNR, holds a small strip of the highway south of Yakovlivka. Intense fighting continued on the eastern edge of Solidar and in the central and southern regions of Bakhmutska, with no change in the situation. Ukrainian forces pushed Russian troops back to the T-1302 highway and M3, 
also known as the E-40, interchange south of Pithorodne. Private PMC Wagner social media channels claim they're advancing north on the M3 highway, but did not provide pictures or videos to support the claim. Regarding Wagner Group Victory claims, pictures or videos that can be geolocated or it didn't happen, bruh. There is heavy fighting on the eastern edge of Bakhmut along Fedora Maximenka Street. PMC Wagner claimed they had crossed the ponds and advanced to the first two blocks just west of the city's edge. We declared that report false, based on direct information we received and were able to geolocate and weather confirm. We will not share that video out of respect for operational security. PMC Wagner made a repeated claim at the end of the day that they captured the same area. We attempted to validate the report before recording. Russian propagandist and mill blogger Visoki Govoritz did not support Wagner's claim and shared a map that is pretty closely aligned with ours. We left the line of conflict unchanged and extended the gray area to the west of the ponds and dam area. The situation is very difficult, but the reports of a major breakthrough on Russian social media channels are absolutely exaggerated. Fighting continued south of Bakhmut in Opitne with no change in the situation. Ukraine is moving three to four reconstituted and rested brigades that were withdrawn from west of the Dnipro River in mid-November to the Bakhmut axis. In an interview on Espresso TV, Ukrainian officials said the situation would stabilize, quote, in the near future. South of Bakhmut, Ukrainian forces repelled attacks on Klishivka and Kurdyumivka, and fighting was reported east and west of Avdivka, the one in Donetsk. Our assessment on December 11th that Russian forces were not on the eastern edge of Klishivka was accurate. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that an attack on Mayorsk was repulsed, confirming our prior assessment that Ukrainian forces are maintaining a presence northeast and west of the train station and railroad yard. Mercenaries with Wargonzo reported a failed attempt by DNR separatists to advance into Krasnohorivka, north of Marinka. Self-declared leader of the DNR, Denis Pushilin, claimed that Russian forces control 70% of Marinka, and Russian propagandists with Ridovka claimed that Marinka is surrounded by, quote, Russian units. Our favorite FSB colonel convicted war criminal Kremlin pariah and former Mobik Igor Gherkin-Strelkov called out Pushilin in a venom-laced post on his Telegram channel, saying, quote, Stunned. It seems that the second, reliable source of information about the situation in the Special Military Operations Zone has appeared in the media after Konoshenkov. The only annoying thing is that Pushilin's statement does not quite coincide with reports from Konoshenkov, which President Putin himself called transparent the other day. End quote. Okay, so who's telling the truth? Let's go to the geolocated videos. Ukrainian sources released a video showing their troops east of Ruzhby Avenue in Marinka Park, north of the Church of the Mother of God of Kazan, and adjacent to the state police station. They were able to move unopposed with no sound of gunfire or artillery. We geolocated and weather-confirmed the video. This indicates the DNR has lost control of the police station and is no longer in the center of Marinka. Russian channels released a video showing DNR forces on patrol, claiming they were in Krasnohorivka, north of Marinka, and had severed the road between the two towns. Based on geolocation, the claim was false. 
with a video recorded in the southeast corner of Marinka on a dirt road, walking toward Galactica. The weather, lighting, and ground conditions in the Russian and Ukrainian videos are identical, indicating they were recorded on the same day and approximately at the same time. A few important points here. First, this is why we have trust issues. Second, we trust our favorite FSB colonel over the self-declared leader of the DNR. Third, pictures or videos that have been geolocated and weather-confirmed and cross-checked to ensure it isn't old content, or it didn't happen. Fourth, our analysts are amazing and they do incredible geolocation work. On the Vuladar axis, it was another day of carrying out the glorious military traditions of the DNR, with another attempt to advance into Novomikhailivka without success. Ukrainian source Deep State reported fighting in the northwest area of Pavlivka and that Ukrainian positions are better than previously thought. We maintain that Ukrainian forces hold the area north of the Kashlehach River and the settlement remains contested. Mercenaries with Rybar reported continued fighting in the area of Velika Novosilka. The People's Militia of the DNR Public Relations Telegram Channel claimed their forces destroyed a 152mm self-propelled howitzer and nine units of, quote, armored and automotive vehicles, with absolutely zero evidence, of course. Ukrainian forces carried out 195 fire missions on the occupied territories. Russian forces attacked civilians in Khirnik, west of Donetsk City, using smirch rockets loaded with cluster munitions fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS. Two people were killed and ten wounded in the daytime attack, which hit the town center where street vendors were operating. The dead included a woman riding a bicycle carrying Christmas decorations and a street vendor. Some people may find the pictures of the attack disturbing. We do link to them in our full situation report on Patreon. In Russian-occupied Horlivka, the sterile chemical plant was shelled again, with pictures showing the roof is heavily damaged. The Rodina Hotel was also shelled. The occupied city of Donetsk was shelled, including the Donetsk power plant, causing a fire in a machine area adjacent to the turbine deck. Insurgents in Mariupol documented a new invasion marking for Russian vehicles, a V within a box. Trucks with the markings were heading north toward the Vuladar axis. There were also reports of a large concentration of Russian troops in Yalta, including 30 main battle tanks, or NBTs, stored in a hangar. Yalta is out of range for Ukrainian MLRS and GMLRS systems. Quick sidebar here. A hangar is a large barn built to store grain. On the M14 highway G-Lock in Demyanivka and Komishevata, Russian forces have posted guards on the bridge that was recently repaired, after several high-profile insurgent and Ukrainian special operation forces attacks on highway infrastructure in Zaporizhia. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia, there was mutual shelling by both belligerents in Kherson. Russian forces continued to target civilians and civilian infrastructure, conducting 57 fire missions on the Free Ukraine territories, killing three civilians and wounding 15. Russian forces intentionally targeted a hospital and an outpatient clinic.
In Russian-occupied Skadovsk, Russian collaborator Vitaly Bulyuk was moderately injured in a car bombing that killed his driver. Bulyuk is a Russian-appointed so-called first governor of economics, financial and budget policy, agriculture, revenue, and taxes for the occupied territories of Kherson. There was no change in the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Some breaking news here. There are reports of a significant Ukrainian advance between Khuliopola and Orykhiv to the northern edge of Russian-occupied Polohi. We couldn't verify these reports at the time of recording, but they are coming from very reliable sources. In Russian-occupied Zaporizhia, the M14 highway bridge in Kostyantanivka, east of Melitsopol, was destroyed by insurgents or Ukrainian special operation forces. Earlier reports that a HIMARS strike destroyed the bridge were inaccurate. A rocket attack fired by HIMARS struck a tactical aviation base in Russian-occupied Berdyansk. Satellite images show the strike destroyed two helicopters, likely MI-8 or KA-52, an ammunition depot, 30 units of military equipment, and up to 50 Russian troops killed or wounded. In the rest of Zaporizhia, Russian forces remain in a defensive posture, with artillery and tank fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola to Orykhiv, with Huliapola suffering heavy shelling. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, the Black Sea fleet has eight vessels on patrol, none of which are missile carriers. In north and northeast Ukraine, in Sumy, the Hromadas of Krasnopilia, Velika Pisarivka, and Seredina Buda were attacked with mortars, rocket-propelled grenades, and grad rockets fired from MLRS. In Seredina Buda, a home and farm buildings were damaged. In Kharkiv, an S-300 anti-aircraft missile used for a ground attack struck the city administrative building, completely destroying it. The attack occurred during the evening while the building was unoccupied. On the Russian front, a loud explosion rocked the town of Klinsky, near Bryansk, overnight. Russian officials claim the blast was caused by air defense shooting down a Ukrainian missile. Due to bad operational security, Russian sources shared a video of a massive crater at a repair base for damaged armored vehicles. The size of the crater implies the attack was from a Ukrainian Tachka-U short-range ballistic missile, or SRBM, and it was not intercepted. At least half a dozen Russian armored vehicles are going to need even more repairs. In the United States, we call that job security. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. First, a quick errors and omissions. So on Monday's episode, I misspoke and called the German Leopard 2 MBTs Leopold 2. I definitely meant Leopard 2. Leopold II would probably be less than useful in this situation, especially since he's been dead for almost 125 years. We thank you for your understanding. Ukrainian Minister of Energy, Herman Haloshenko, reported that a nuclear reactor that had been knocked offline on November 23rd due to a Russian missile attack had been reconnected to the Ukrainian power grid, adding another 1,000 megawatts of electrical capacity. All nine reactors under Ukrainian control are operating at full capacity. Rumors are circulating again that Slovakia will transfer up to a dozen MiG-29 fighter planes that they retired in August to Ukraine, 
The Minister of Foreign Affairs of Slovakia, Rostislav Kacer, said, quote, We have not yet handed over MiG-29s, but we are ready. We are in contact with our NATO partners about the procedure. End quote. Sidebar. Yeah, no, that's great. But release the damn planes. A showdown within the German government appears to be forming over providing Ukraine with Leopard 2 MBTs. Marie-Agnes Strzok-Zimmermann, chair of the Defense Committee in the German Bundestag, said she supports providing the tanks, adding that she no longer, quote, sees any reason not to do it, end quote. So, does this mean that the alleged Russian connections to an attempt to overthrow the German government was the final red line? Sidebar, I mean, that's great, but release the damn tanks. Polish S-125 Neva SC anti-aircraft missile systems have appeared in Ukraine. The system is a modernized version of the Soviet-era S-125 Neva M. Poland had not previously announced the delivery of the anti-aircraft system. Sweden has announced its ninth military aid package to Ukraine, which includes anti-aircraft defense systems and parts, all-terrain vehicles for winter conditions, and full winter uniforms for 10,000 soldiers. The United Kingdom Defense Intelligence Agency reported that the Russian Federation had set a $143 billion 2023 budget for national defense, security, and law enforcement. The package is 8% of 2022 Russian GDP and 30% of its federal budget. NATO's combined military budget for 2023 is $1.06 trillion and does not include United States law enforcement budget, which is funded at the federal, state, county, and local levels. The U.S. police and corrections budget is estimated to be $215 to $220 billion annually. When all combined, Russia's budget represents 11% of NATO's total commitment to internal and external security. Currently, the Russian Ministry of Defense is facing growing complaints from Mobix and the federal districts for lack of funding and late and missed bonus payments, combat pay, disability pay, and survivor benefits. Speaking of complaints, let's talk about Russian mobilization. Rifat Chubarov, the head of the Mejlis of the Crimean Tatar people, acknowledged residents' complaints in occupied Crimea that hospitals are denying civilian medical care for all but the most serious cases, saying, quote, Now we know for sure that both in Simferopol and in other cities, local residents are more and more often denied some form of treatment. And these appeals of local residents, according to which they are denied, they just say that civilian doctors are busy just serving the wounded. End quote. We had previously reported that hospitals in Sevastopol were suffering from an acute blood shortage, and there are several reports that morgues in Crimea are overwhelmed. Russian President Vladimir Putin continues to bravely run away. Last month, he hid from angry babushkas that wanted to know what happened to their sons. This month, he's hiding from the international media canceling his annual press conference for the first time in 10 years. Dmitry Peskov said one of the reasons for the cancellation was the, quote, situation at the line of contact, end quote. Really? You don't say. Rumors are flying in the Russian mill blogger community that President Putin will fire Russian chief of the general staff, 
Valery Gerasimov, in the coming days. This is the third time there has been speculation that Gerasimov, who has had a very low profile since being wounded on April 29th in Ukraine, is retiring or being fired. The Kremlin released a statement denying the claim and indicating they continued to support Gerasimov. Little sidebar here. Have you ever noticed when a sports coach or athlete or business leader or whatever is performing poorly and rumors start to circulate that they'll be fired and management makes a weak statement about their support, which is really just coded language for, yeah, yeah, they're on their way out? That's what this feels like this time. Russian propagandist Vladimir Solovyov amplified the calls by Russian State Duma Deputy Mikhail Sheremyev to extend conscripted military service from one year to two years. Sheremyev called it a necessary measure to increase the combat readiness of the Russian army. PMC Wagner telegram channel Grey Zone blasted Russian customs officials and the Kremlin for holding up and confiscating so-called dual-use items at the border between Ukraine and Russia. Even though the DNR and LNR were annexed by Russia on October 4th and are part of Russia, according to Russia. The most recent shipment that was donated to help support Russian troops was first aid kits. This isn't a real problem because Russian military officers will happily resell the first aid kits at a criminal markup on the black market. Wait, hold up. Is that why PMC Wagner is angry? Stealth mobilization continues, with the DNR conscripting women into the ranks of the 1st Army Corps. The first 28 women received a summons from the Commissariat for Compulsory Military Duty in the Kalinin district of Donetsk. Everything is going to plan. In geopolitical news... The Ukrainian embassy in Greece received a blood-soaked package with undisclosed animal parts. This was the 33rd package with bombs or animal parts sent to Ukrainian diplomatic missions in 17 European countries since November 30th. In Moscow, the French embassy received a package that contained a dead rat and a spider. The package was sent from Russian-occupied Crimea. In economic news, the Russian ruble declined again despite attempts to keep it artificially high, with an exchange rate of 64 for one U.S. dollar in very light trading. Oil prices rebounded after more than a week of steady declines after China announced it was ending COVID lockdowns. WTI crude rose to $74 a barrel and Brent reached $79. Russian Ural's crude also rebounded to $54 a barrel. That's still trading at an unprofitable price point. Asian buyers are paying more than $60 a barrel, with Russia taking advantage of the short trade route by using their own tankers and underwriting the insurance policies. United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market climbed to $2.11 a gallon, or $0.56 a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures rose in trading on Tuesday, reaching 140 euros per megawatt hour for January 2023 delivery and 141 euros for February. Chicago SRW wheat futures rose to $7.63 a bushel for March 2023 delivery. The port of Odessa reopened after being closed for two days due to a lack of electrical power. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then... 
Stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.